Let's turn together to number 411 in the Trinity Psalter hymnal as we prepare to hear God's word tonight. Number 411, shout for the blessed Jesus reigns through distant lands his triumphs spread and sinners freed from endless pains own him their savior and their head. We're going to sing all five verses, 411. Let's stand together as we sing. Tonight, God's word comes to us from the Old Testament prophet Haggai. This evening, we're going to be reading just chapter 1, the 15 verses of chapter 1 of the prophet Haggai. Haggai 1, beginning at verse 1, what we hear now is God's word. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves 
to dwell in your paneled houses, while this house lies in ruins. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who, who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. I have, and I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people of the Lord's, with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. <clears throat> well, we are moving tonight into the last section of our series on the minor prophets. And as I've said a number of times, the prophets are not necessarily chronological, but they do kind of uh, go together in certain pieces. We saw that those first six prophets, Hosea through Micah, ministered in the years about 850 to 730 B.C. approximately, before Israel had been taken into exile. And by the way, I've given you a, just a couple dates on your outline tonight to help see the chronology of where we are in God's working with his people. We know that in 722, Israel was taken captive by Assyria, and the capital, Samaria, was captured. Then we came to the next three minor prophets, which I said belong together as a group, Nahum and Habakkuk and Zephaniah, all ministering from about 630 to 600 or so B.C. And you recall that by this time, the people of God were divided into Israel and Judah. Now, Israel had gone into captivity back in 722. But it would be in 586 B.C. that Judah would be taken away into captivity by Babylon 
and at that time the temple of God destroyed. So those first six prophets before Israel taken into captivity, the next three prophets before Judah taken into captivity. Then we have the people of God in captivity. And there are two prophets that that speak in that time. We're not looking at those in this series. Because those two prophets are Ezekiel and Daniel. They are the prophets that speak in the time of the exile. No, we've come to the last three minor prophets. And these are the post-exilic. After the exile and Israel's being brought back to the land, three prophets speak to them. Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi. Haggai and Zechariah doing their ministry in about 520 B.C. or so, and Malachi about 100 years later in 430. We're looking tonight at Haggai. It is the second shortest of the minor prophets. Remember, kids, we call these minor prophets not because of their message, but because of their length. They're all fairly short. And this is the second shortest. The shortest one, Obadiah, with only 21 verses. Haggai has 38 verses altogether. And you would think that with a book with only 38 verses, certainly this book could be handled easily in one sermon. I found that for me, that was not the case. Even though it was my intention to preach only one sermon on each minor prophet, as I worked with Haggai, uh, there's just too much here. The book really belongs together. Chapters 1 and 2 belong together. They're one story. But if I was going to preach that whole story tonight, uh, I think not only your ears would get tired, but other parts of your body get tired as well. Uh, So we're not going to do the whole book tonight. We're going to do the first chapter tonight. And then next week, we'll do chapter 2 of Haggai, because it really belongs as one story. Again, just to remind you of our chronology. In 586, the temple had been destroyed. But you recall, at least I hope you recall, in the book Habakkuk, the prophet who talks with God, He asks these questions, how can this be, O God? God, are you serious? You're bringing these evil nations against your people. Yes, they would come and they would destroy the temple, take people captive, but they would be punished as well. And that's what happens in 539. 539, when Babylonia itself is taken captive by Cyrus, the king of Persia. And along with Babylon, since they'd captured Judah, the, Judah the, Judea, the, the Jews as well taken captive, now belonging to Persia. But Cyrus was a fairly benevolent ruler. He was, in the broadest sense of the word, a religious man. He was concerned about the gods of the lands that he was conquering. And so he not only allowed, but encouraged those whom he conquered to worship their god. And Cyrus makes a decree, and as a result of that, 50,000 captives of Judah are sent back to Jerusalem. 
they are sent back and instructed to rebuild the temple of God and to begin worshiping Him once again. And that's what happens. In 536, construction on the temple of God begins. That uh, history is recorded for us in Ezra, uh, the first four chapters. Perhaps you want to read that this coming week. Read Ezra chapter 1 through 4. See how, how they went back and began that building of the temple. But there were challenges. Although the altar of God was completed, the work on the temple stopped because of the challenges that were being brought against rebuilding the temple. The work stopped and didn't start again for 16 years. A 16-year construction delay on the temple of God. And that brings us to 520 B.C. And that is when Haggai ministers, the second year of King Darius, we're told from chapter 1. And, and Haggai comes with a very simple message. And that message is, it's time to build the temple. It's been 16 years since this project began and was halted. It's time to build the temple. Which is why I, I call uh, Haggai in our, our title tonight the prophet of God's house. He was concerned for the house of God, for building the house of God. He comes with the message, it's time to build the temple. Now remember, we're dealing with post-exilic Judah. So these last few prophets don't come so much with a message of warning, God's going to come in judgment. He had come in judgment, but he had also been faithful to his remnant. He had brought them back into the land of Israel. And now their concern should be, how can we thank God for bringing us back? How can we thank him for what he has done? And the simple answer is, do what God asks. Worship him as he desires. Build the temple of God. This is once again the, the, the first prophetic word after about a hundred years of prophetic silence. It's time to build the temple. And Haggai comes with that message and gives the people something of, of a rebuke for not doing this earlier. Look at to verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of God. It had been 16 years. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruin? It's time. It's been 16 years. The opposition to building has gone. But the problem was they were more concerned about themselves. They were more concerned about their house than about God's house. And you can almost hear the types of excuses that would be given for why they hadn't taken up this work yet. Think of the time involved in building the temple. Do you recall how long it took to build Solomon's temple? It was seven years. They'd be committing themselves to a huge time commitment and a project that would last for years. Just too much for them to commit to. This was no small building project. 
This was the temple of the Lord. The temple was beautiful with all the gold and all the wood and what it would take to build that again. It would not only be a time commitment, it would be a money commitment in our dollars today, a multi-million dollar project. It would cost the people something to rebuild the temple. They were just simply not that concerned. More concerned with their homes, more concerned with their comfort, more concerned with themselves than they were with God and the things of God. How do we apply a text like that today? Well, I think the simple application would be if a church was going to be planning a a new building project that was going to commit themselves in time and money, the word would come, it's time to build the church, time to undertake this project, make this happen. But that's too small of an application. The application of his admonition, it's time to build the temple, comes to us as a New Testament church. I find it so interesting that in the Old Testament, while the temple was that place of God's dwelling with his people, it was important for the temple as a building to be built. And so we have this admonition, build the temple, that symbol of God's presence in the midst of his people. But nowhere in the New Testament do we ever see any admonition to build a building? There's no admonitions in the New Testament, make sure you have good church buildings. No, the application to us today is not, let's have a new building project. The application is, it's time to build the church. Not the physical structure, it's time to build the church the people of God, to to deliberately expend ourselves for the advancement of Christ's church and God's glory. Now we know that it is Jesus Christ himself who is the cornerstone of the church and who builds the church, but he does that through us. He does that through us, his servants. It's time for us to be engaged in the active building of the church of Jesus Christ. And yet, if I'm honest with myself, often my excuses might be the same as those in Haggai's time. Do you know how much time that's going to take? For any of you who've been involved with bringing uh, new converts into the church, you know it is a huge time commitment. All of the questions that need to be answered, all the discussions that are going to take place, all the phone calls and the emails and the text messages you are going to get, it's a huge time commitment to disciple someone, to bring them into the fellowship of God's people. But it's time to build the church. It's time to use the gifts and talents, the contacts God has given to us to expand His church. Oh, it may cost us, maybe not monetarily, but it will cost us in different ways. It will cost us emotionally to help someone to to understand the truths of the faith. And so we have to ask ourselves, as I've had to ask myself as well, 
am I, am I putting first in my life God's desires and God's glory or my own comfort and the comfortable position I find myself in? Am I more concerned about the things of the Lord or about my reputation? What will people think of me if I start more actively reaching out to those around me, inviting others to worship? And we talked a bit this last summer in Backyard Bible Study what that looks like in very real and practical ways. And I would commend uh, those, uh, those uh, lessons, those lectures to you that are on our website of real and practical ways of reaching out with the gospel. But it is, it is a commitment. It's a time commitment on our part to reach out to someone who God has placed in our path. Uh, it's important for us to be active participants in the worship of God and then to bring others into that active participation in the worship of God. To talk about, to talk about our church, to we talk about it with joy. I can't wait to go to the house of the Lord once again. Better is one day in those courts than a thousand elsewhere. Do we have that type of of enthusiasm, desiring others to come with us to the house of God. And as God gives us opportunities to share the gospel, are we taking those? Are, are, are we even looking for those? Being aware of, of those around us who may be open to a discussion about the things of the Lord. It is time to build the church. Haggai warns them about in this rebuke, that they were thinking wrongly about, about uh, the nature of their relationship to God and to his church. Verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Because of my house that lies in ruins, each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you, above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain and the wine and the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and all their labors. They wondered why they weren't being blessed. And Haggai uses language here that harks back to God's word earlier. They should have known that the path of blessing is through obedience to God. There's no blessing without obedience. And particularly the words here in verse 10 hark back to what God said earlier, way back when they were leaving Egypt. Boy, it's been uh, about five years ago that we looked at the book of Joshua. And we talked about those two mountains, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, where they would uh, decree blessings and curses on the people of God. And those blessings and curses for obedience and disobedience are spelled out for us in Deuteronomy chapter 28. In Deuteronomy 28, we read this. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed you shall be in the city, and cursed you shall be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl, 
Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the the fruit of the ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in and cursed shall you be when you go out. He picks up that language. You shall carry much seed into the field and shall gather in little, for the locust shall consume it. You shall plant vineyards and dress them, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worm shall eat them. You shall have olive trees throughout your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with the oil, for your olives shall drop off. You shall father sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go into captivity. The cricket shall possess all your trees and the fruit of your ground. He says, All these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you till you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that he commanded you. And that's what's happened to the people. They are being cursed by God, withholding the dew from heaven, withholding the produce in the land, in the hills, on the grain, on the wine, on the oil. There's uh, Haggai saying, You're wondering why things aren't going well. Because you're not being obedient to God, doing what he's asked you to do. He's brought you back from captivity. Now how are you going to thank him? It's by doing what he asks. He says, verse 5 and 6, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. You'll never have enough. You'll never be satisfied until you do what God calls you to do. It's like taking your money, children, and putting it in a bag. There's a hole in the bottom of that bag, and it just keeps running out. There's never satisfaction until we live our lives in obedience to God, thankful for what he has done for us until they committed to the work of the Lord. It was time to build the temple. It was time to do what God had asked. And so for us too, that timely rebuke, are we apathetic about the things of the Lord? Are we satisfied with the minimal that God has given to us? Well, we're here, and perhaps our family is here in church, and you know what? That's enough. A lack of concern for our neighbors. A lack of concern for those around us. Now the word of Haggai comes to us as well. It's time to build the church. God has taken us out of captivity. He has redeemed us. How do we thank him for that? We share that glorious truth with others. What happened when Haggai brought this message? The people listened. And there was a spiritual revival in their midst. Verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. They heard the word and they obeyed. They began the building project. They didn't wait another 16 years. The time had come to build the temple. It was only a couple of weeks later they'd started at the end of this chapter. 
on the 24th day of the month of the sixth month in the second year of Dryas. It's, it's three weeks or so later, and the building project is beginning. They, they, they committed to obey. And as they made that commitment to do what God had asked them to do, we see that they are encouraged by the Spirit of God. Verse 14, And the Lord stirred the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of, of Joshua, and the spirit of Joshua, and the, uh, Joshua the high priest, and the spirit of all the members of the people, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord. They're encouraged in their spirit. But notice the order. They committed to obeying God and then were stirred in their spirit in that obedience. I think too often when it comes to our obedience, we wait to be stirred first and then decide to obey. That's not what happened. They made the commitment. We're going to do this. And as they committed to build, they were stirred in their spirit to continue in that obedience. If we wait to be moved in our spirit to obedience, we might be waiting a quite a long time. Another 16 years could have gone by. No, they committed to obey. And in that commitment, God blessed them and stirred them on to a greater obedience. Our obedience shouldn't wait for us to feel like it. If we don't feel like talking to our neighbors, talking to our coworkers, don't wait until you feel like it. We might never feel like it. But commit. Commit to doing what God calls us to do, to be involved in His work of building the church. And as we commit, He stirs us to desire to do that even more. We see that even in the work of the church. Sometimes uh, ministers, elders have difficult times going to make certain calls on people. And yet when we commit to doing it obediently, we find God blessing us and we're stirred toward a greater obedience. That's what's going on here. They commit to do what God has called them to and they're stirred up in their spirit. And, and, and it begins with the leadership of the people. It begins with Zerubbabel, the governor, and Joshua, the high priest. And I would just as soon skip verse 14, that this is where the, the moving began in the leadership. Because that forces the office bearers in this church to ask themselves, are we modeling that type of obedience to God, a desire to do what He has called us to do, to be engaged in the ongoing work of building His church, that we might model that for the rest of the congregation? That we might model what it means to be actively engaged in building the church of God, that others may follow and come alongside of us. We really really can't expect the laity in the church to do what we who are in office are unwilling to do ourselves. I, I lay blame at my own door for not being more active and engaged in that ongoing work of building the church. God gives encouragement. 
He stirs the leaders and he stirs the spirit of the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house, Lord of hosts. And why were they stirred? Why were they encouraged? Because of the words that we read in verse 13. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you. I am with you. As you do this work, as you build this temple, I will be with you. You're doing this for my honor, for my glory. I've given you the command. And you're doing this out of love for me. And I will be with you in that job. And that same wonderful word of encouragement comes to us tonight as we consider the daunting task of being involved in the building up of the church of bringing unbelievers in, of encouraging believers, we can have confidence because God is with us. When we engage in uh, evangelistic conversations, we can be confident because God is with us. That was Jesus' promise when he left this earth to go back to heaven and gave the Great Commission. I will be with you to the ends of the earth. His promise to continue his work as the gospel goes forth. And that's why we have every confidence as we share the gospel with those around us, that God is at work. And He will use even our weak and faulting efforts for His honor and for His glory to build His church. And to Him goes all the glory. So tonight, once again, that, that, that simple gospel message goes out, even from faulting lips, that Jesus Christ is a sinner's Savior. If you are here tonight, still living in your sin still trying to justify yourself before God, turn away from yourself and turn to Jesus Christ and be a part of this glorious work of God, this church, His body, His people. That's His call tonight. To all of us to be engaged in that wonderful, that wonderful work. Just as the people, the remnant, took up their hands to build the temple of God, God calls us. It's time to build a church, to rethink our priorities, to rethink our commitments. And as we move forward in obedience, we trust that God will stir us in our spirit to a greater devotion, to a confidence that he is at work building his church even today. And he gives us the glorious privilege of being involved in that wonderful work. Yes. It's time to build the church. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, tonight we have looked at your word, and your word comes to us and encourages us, and at times it challenges us. Lord God, if we have been apathetic, if we have not cared about the growth of your church, we pray you would forgive us that you would help us to recognize what you have done for us. Just as you took Israel from captivity and brought them back to the promised land, you have taken us beyond that from death and given us life itself. And now we have the glorious privilege to be involved in sharing that work of the gospel, that truth you have given us to those in our circle of influence. Lord God, Encourage us. Give us the desire, the commitment to do what we can to share this truth with those around us. And as we do so, O oh God, we pray that you would stir us in spirit toward a greater devotion and a greater obedience. We are weak and we are frail. 
but we have the wonderful assurance you are with us. May that encourage us to do your work. Hear our prayer, O God, for Jesus' sake. Amen.